Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, welcome to the 310th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode was brought to you by patrons Anthony Yacenda, Don Rivas, Robbie Ride, and John Mailer. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and three of those patrons, we are calling you out yet again, even though we just mentioned your names last week, because it took me a little longer than I wanted to mail you your hats, but they have been mailed. I asked my daughter to decorate the boxes. She wasn't really in the mood to decorate the box. She was more into like taping them and folding Mm -hmm. the letters that we put in there. So I apologize for the shoddy packing work. Let's get to our show. Today, we are going to talk about a few things. I apologize for my hoarse voice. I am sick. We're going to talk about opportunities that we have on sets, how we can kind of try to pivot projects that are difficult into projects that are good. We're going to talk about Just basically how we try to make the most of every shoot we have. How do you make your projects as awesome as they can be, basically? What have we learned? What are the practices we try to employ to kind of set ourselves off on the right foot? Yeah. And some of the thoughts that go through our heads as to the pitfalls we've experienced and hopefully some ideas on how to avoid them in the future. But before we do that, we're going to catch up a little bit. Yeah. Oren, what have you been working on lately? Well, I've been working on a bunch of random things. The more interesting thing is I recently moved to a new commercial production company. Congratulations. Thank you. It's called Great Guns. It's really cool. They have some really cool people on the roster, like Dan Trachtenberg. It's a cool company. They've been around forever. They work a lot in Europe, and they're kind of revamping their American footprint, and they don't have like a ton of comedy people. So I'm excited because I'm filling a hole for them, mm-hmm. hopefully. And we actually do get a lot of emails from listeners that are trying to figure out to break into commercials. They've shot a bunch of industrials, maybe a few small commercials, short films, music videos. And a lot of times they ask us like, what's, what's the move? How do you break and how do you get a production company to basically get you commercial work? Yeah. How, how do you get signed? But I will say one thing that helps is if you have a reel that fits a missing mm-hmm. hole. So if you, if let's say you, you really like a production company, you live in New Jersey and there's a few different production companies that do commercials in New Jersey and you want to figure out which is the one that you have the best chance at working with. You should check out if they do have a roster, like the directors that they work with and the one that has like the biggest gap for you. Let's say you shoot lifestyle stuff, you shoot kids, you shoot, 
you know, comedy, whatever you do. Like I personally am more like a comedy VFX guy. If I see a roster that has one or two comedy directors, but not like a million, I, I know that it could be a good fit for me. I agree. There's kind of two different schools, right? There's either a production company that wants to have one or two directors in every viable category. You know, they've got their tabletop person, their lifestyle person, their youth person, their comedy person, their drama their action sports, et cetera, et cetera. Or you look at some of these houses that are just like, no, all we do is this one music type videos. of thing. We yeah. only do music videos. We only do doc. We only do comedy. If you fit into that niche, that's worthwhile as well. The tricky thing with the places that specialize in one vertical is that they tend to have people whose reels are super duper, duper good. If it's a comedy house, they've got, some of the biggest heavy hitters in comedy, at least a couple A-listers on their roster, basically. And so you kind of are automatically compared to them. I do think we're kind of in a time where most companies are diversifying more. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, there's like a few places that really specialize in tabletop, like the food stuff. Like we shoot mm -hmm. food, you know, for small things or products. They don't know much about casting. They don't know much mm -hmm. about SAG. They don't know much, you know, their whole production pipeline isn't quite built for you. But I find today that if you have a company that does like a ton of cool cinematic Nike, you know, sports sure. stuff, they still are getting some comedy jobs and they would like to have at least one director that they can say like, oh, yeah, it's actually a funny Adidas ad, you know. That's a really astute point is like all of these reps are seeing the boards coming in. And so, you know, if you're a smart producer at a production company, you keep seeing opportunities and you don't have a director who matches those opportunities, you probably try to go out and find one. Yeah. And you might not even be like on their roster. Like if you go to their website and then click on directors, maybe you're not on their list of directors, mm -hmm. but you are the comedy person they always call when they get a comedy, you know, potential comedy jump. So anyhow, long story short, I am going to work with great guns. I'm not like a hundred percent officially signed with them. The idea as a director nowadays being a hundred percent committed to one company is tricky because you know, we want to work a lot and we want to mm -hmm. take every opportunity that is given to us. So it's tricky unless one company is giving you like, you know, 10, 20 jobs a year, you need to work with multiple companies and you don't want those jobs to conflict with each other. So we're still kind of figuring that out, but L let's unpack that a little bit though, because I think that's worth explaining to people. So back in the day, it used to be that people were 100% exclusive to whatever company they were working with. And those companies, sometimes they'd put you on retainer and you'd pay off that retainer relative to your work. Putting you on retainer means they basically would give you some minimal salary mm -hmm. just yeah. to be on the roster, even if you didn't work at all the entire year. Those have basically gone away more or less. But the reason that companies oftentimes want you to be exclusive is because those companies each have sales reps for each different region, basically. So West Coast, East Coast, and the Midwest, and maybe sometimes people will slice it up a little bit more. But so basically those, those sales reps will say, okay, well, we've got great guns on our roster. And so they know Oren's Real just like they know all of the other directors on all of the other production companies' rosters that they have. And what they don't want to have happen is when a brief comes in, those sales reps don't want to be pitching the same director as another sales rep, right? It's just like there's a, there's a pecking order to all of it. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing that, that we're dealing with now, that used to be a very siloed way of getting work. And now... Because the business is changing so much, companies are going directly to production companies. So they're not, they don't have an agency necessarily. And production companies are filling in that gap. 
or uh, that's that's kind of the main challenge. Or or the the other thing is sometimes companies are bringing their creative teams internal and then going to a production company. So now a CMO or a marketing team basically is coming up with a creative and then going to a production company. And so basically because that pipeline is now muddled and diluted, it means that there's a lot of work out there that's not going <coughs> exclusively through those sales reps. And so it makes the relationship more complicated because people like you and I, we know enough producers out there that we're getting hit up and or our names getting passed along or whatever. And so we're getting these opportunities to pitch on things, but also we have these relationships, these exclusive relationships with our production companies. And so it makes it just more complicated, basically. Yeah. I mean, and there's every iteration of that today. I think there's obviously the direct relationships between production companies and clients, but there's also like, you know, different companies to see different projects. There's like every company, every publisher is doing branded content, like from AOL to Viacom to NBC Universal. They usually don't work with reps. They somehow find directors on their own, you know, so you kind of mm-hmm. form relationships with producers that work there. Long story short, I'm trying to kind of put great guns in the, the first position. So if there's a job and they are interested in it, then I will pitch with them. If they're not interested in it, then I'll pitch with someone else. Or if they don't even know about it, then I'll pitch with someone else. The interesting thing is, so we haven't done any jobs together yet, but we've just pitched bid on a job recently and we pretty much got it. Like they said they wanted us for the job, but as we were going through the details and the budgets and all the things that we would need to do to get the job done, you know, the folks at Great Guns felt like, like we just couldn't do the job right, you know, with the resources mm-hmm. we had. And so we ended up passing on it, which was a little disappointing because, you know, it was a DGA job. It was, you know, a union job. Like I had, you know, some really great people lined up to hire for it. So, um, There was a lot of excitement about it. But when I talked to the EP at the end, he's like, he could tell that I was disappointed because, you know, you and Mm -hmm. I sometimes will. And part of what we're going to about to talk about is that if the creative is good, I'll do a job at a loss. If like I feel like the creative is so good or it's like this one was with the celebrity too. like, like if I'm so excited to put this on my reel, then I know it's going to get me other jobs. I'll do it for whatever. I'll pull favors. I'll do all those things. Right. So. I said to him, I was like, you know, yeah, I am disappointed, you know, a job like this, like good creative, good people, good team, good agency, like I would do whatever, you know. And then I said, but I do have a tendency to settle for things, you know, whatever the budget is, I'll make it work. Okay, so we can't have the steady cam, so we'll get a gimbal. Can't have a gimbal, we'll put on a dolly. Can't have a dolly, we'll shoot in 6K and push it in in post, which is like what every producer thinks is possible, but actually like has never looked good. It's like not the same as pushing in on a dolly. Sorry, producers. Or like person in the marketing department that like thinks that's what you can do with a 6K camera. Anyhow, I'm always like the director that like has a big vision, high hopes and super excited. But then when people are like, well, we can't do this. What do you want to cut? Should we cut this or this? I, you know, I cut things and I settle and I said to them, you know, I, I do have a tendency to do that. And I see like literally from just our new relationship here that you guys don't settle. You want mm-hmm. good things. And he said, yeah, you know, like if we want to bring you to the next level, if we, we want you to have this like A-list reel, we want everything we shoot to be worth our while, you know, to be A-list. Yeah. Yeah. We want to hire the A-list production designer and get the best stage and get the A-list DP and get the best editing place and have company three do the color. And like, why would we kill ourselves for Mm -hmm. something that's going to be like a B 
level project. I was like, awesome. I mean, I still wish we took that job, <laughs> but it is a lesson that, you know, 15 years in, I'm still trying to learn, which is like, like being easy to work with and always like agreeing to whatever is necessary is not always going to be great for your reel or for your career. I, I think you and I have a similar problem and it was great for our reels for a long time for maybe five, seven out of those 15 years, right? Because the jobs that I was talking about before, the stuff that's direct to client or where it's a little bit more relationship based, a little bit less about the real, it's more like, oh, hey, Oren's cool. Those are all producers who are recommending us. And producers oftentimes are as concerned with the flexibility of a director as they are the end product because their job is to get something in on budget on time, on schedule, et cetera. That's what gets them hired again and again and again. Not did it win a Clio or not. So, you know, th- this is a thing that we, I think we both kind of struggle with all the time. And it, I think it's really exciting to hear that Great Guns is really putting their foot down and giving you the support that you need, even if, you know. It means not taking a job. It means not taking a I job. I take. Well, or, or I was going to say, even if you don't know that you want that support yet. You know, if, yeah. if I were in the same position, I would 100% feel the same way as you. I think to your producer's point, like the way to level up is to not waste your time taking jobs that you can't nail, basically. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. It's like you think about agents versus managers and a lot of people are like, what is the difference? Like, do I need an agent? Do I need a manager? Mm-hmm. And I guess the kind of like the stock answer that I always feel like we hear which is the true answer is the agent gets you jobs and the manager manages your career. So the agent, any job they can get you, they'll get you and they'll Mm -hmm. take their cut and that's it. Or they're done with that. And the manager in theory is supposed to help you figure out which jobs to take and which jobs to not take. And is hopefully supposed to help you not waste your time on the stuff that's not going to be moving the needle on your career. That's a little bit of kind of this thing, but we'll see. We say that now and then great guns next week will be like, Hey, do you want to do this industrial? <laughs> you know, like, sure. Like you never know how it all goes, but I am excited to not be the one that's like, uh, like we're just having like some random, like your mm-hmm. nephew color this thing in their garage. I think that there is an important distinction on where people come up from. You know, I think if you started in the indie or digital space, it's a thing where sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And so as things get bigger and bigger and bigger, you're exposed to bigger and better things and therefore your standards raise, right? Which is kind of like, I think where we came from. Whereas if you start at the high end, you know, you have an internship at one of those major companies and then you kind of work your way up and become a producer there. Oftentimes they're just like, well, yeah, of course we would never do it that way. It's insane to do it that way. I don't know how to do this job for less than a quarter million dollars. Mm -hmm. And like there are pros and cons to whatever direction you come from. Yeah. So we're going to actually explore more about this topic after our commercial break about opportunities, about trying to not settle for things. And if you have to settle for things, what strategies we use to make things a little bit better. Before we talk about that, we're going to tell you about our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash just shoot a pod. It's a place you can go if you feel like you get anything out of this podcast, not even from all 310 episodes. If you got anything from one episode, one episode, that's probably worth a buck a month, four bucks a month. How much do you spend on coffee? Me? Dude, you don't even want to know. I know exactly how much I spend on coffee and it's absurd. No, really, it helps us pay our editor and pays for the shipping of these hats that if you want one, you can join at the $15 level, even for just one month. And I will personally mail you a Just Shoot It podcast hat 
that might have been drooled on just like a tiny bit by my toddler. If you want to help keep the show going, keeping it alive, Noah's been doing a great job helping us out. It's the heartbeat of the show. Okay, patreon.com slash pseudopod. Sorry for the very long Patreon plug. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And we're back. And we're back. Okay, so Matt, tell us about our topic today. So we've both been at this game for a while. And I've noticed in talking to you for 310 episodes, 309, I guess, this being the 310th. You know, over the years, our careers have evolved and the opportunities that we're getting have evolved. When we were younger, I think I was a little bit more apprehensive about smaller budgets or there was just a little bit more ego about what made a good job or a bad job and it oftentimes had something more to do with the budget i've grown past that a lot you know like yeah i remember my dream when i was first making like my youtube videos and shorts and little things was to have a job where i'm not the one carrying the c-stands yeah wrapping out all of that stuff yeah um and it then helps you're when like, you don't own 10 C-stands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, then, then you get that feeling where you're like, I made it. And then after a few jobs, you realize like, oh, there's so much more distance between what I'm doing and what I want to be doing. You know, if you want to be working at the, at the tippy tippy top of Hollywood, there's an awful lot that happens in between. And so sometimes I think people get a little chip on their shoulder, right? Mm-hmm. And they start thinking, well, like, oh, oh. You know, if I have to carry a C-stand, it can't be a good job. Or if I have to drive the truck, it can't be a good job. Or if it's under five figures, it can't be a good job or whatever. It continues to evolve. And then I think... um, You want to work on bigger and bigger things and it's frustrating to go back. I mean, so many filmmakers I know will make like a $20,000 film Mm and they'll make like a $200,000 film. And then someone comes to them with like a $50,000 film and they're like, are you joking? 
Like, <laughs> abs- I would never knew that. Absolutely not. Right. Even though they just made a $20,000. <laughs> Look, there's wisdom to that. I'm not saying to sell yourself short, but what I'm getting at is that I think that we've kind of come back around to being reminded that a small budget or a meager resources or whatever, if the creative is good, is really exciting for us. But then the flip side of this topic is that as our tastes have evolved, as our skills have evolved, even if we're really excited about the creative, I think consistently we're increasingly disappointed with the outcome of our work in a sense, right? Like the, because you see all of the flaws and as your skills get get sharper, you realize how much better things can be in basically every single aspect, whether that's, you know, a tighter edit or better performances or a different shot or whatever. You start out with grand ambitions and then as things get whittled away, it can be a little disheartening. Yeah. And I know this isn't the topic, but you also start realizing that like having more money sometimes makes for worse things. Like you start fantasizing about like your days when you were just out there with a the camera and like a few actors and you're like, that stuff was mm-hmm. so good and so natural and so mm-hmm. great. And we did everything I wanted and it was pretty good given what we had. And now you're like, now we have it all and it's not as good mm-hmm. as. <laughs> and well, why isn't it that much better? Right. Like if I have literally 10 times the budget, why isn't this at least twice as good? There's also that thing of you not knowing what you don't know. You know, I think back to Squaresville, which was my web series that kind of first put me on the map and opened up a lot of doors for me and how there were a lot of just lucky decisions that I didn't realize I had made until a few jobs down the line. I realized like, oh, why is this so much harder? And it's because I didn't keep wardrobe consistent or looks consistent or whatever kind of like happy accidents you end up with on a project like that. Yeah. And you also kind of once you start working with more people, you realize it's you have to rely on them to, you know, let maybe now you're not writing the script. Someone else mm-hmm. is writing the script. You're not, you know, determining the schedule. Someone else is making the schedule. You're not deciding where the money goes. Someone else is deciding that stuff. And it starts not quite lining up with like what you thought a production is, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes like mm-hmm. you get a script and the writer's like, yeah, we're flexible. And then you try to change it. And they're like, nope, you can't change it. Just shoot the script. And that's the nature of scaling up, right? Filmmaking has to be collaborative because there were too many jobs and too many specialties and too many physical and logistical challenges that you literally can't do it all yourself. You can do a good portion of it. You can do a hell of a lot, especially now, but you can't literally do it all, unfortunately. I feel like up until now, we've been quite vague with what this topic is. Mm -hmm. Let's jump into some concrete examples of challenges or limitations that you've received and kind of some strategies to make things better, right? Like at the end of the mm-hmm. day, we all want what we're working on to be good for people to like it, for our clients to like it, for it to be good on our reel, for us to be proud of the work. How do you make a job that's not exactly what you want better? So I think the first one actually is defining your goals more clearly, right? Every company, every project that you work on has a different criteria for what good is, quote unquote, right? And so whether that's funny or whether that's really professional or any of the any combination therein, knowing what the goals are, I think, is a really important thing, even if they're internal goals just for yourself. You know, I'm doing a lot of work with a company now where like metrics and conversions and like literally like does this commercial sell more product or not is maybe the big deciding factor of whether or not something is good or not. Right. But is that the deciding factor for you as the director? Yes and no. Yes and no. I would say that it is a greater factor now 
because of how much work I'm doing with them. If you understand that that is the goal of the company, then my personal goal of, say, making it super funny becomes a little less cogent because that no one else is as worried about that as I am. And that's okay. Do you know what I mean? So maybe it's just like making this thing that is an explainer video mildly entertaining is a win, you know? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's like my struggle. Like, is it a win? Like, I know for me, I, and this is probably not how you were talking about goals, but I was seeing at my past company, they told me like, we see, we're seeing a lot of comedy boards, you know, basically means mm -hmm. people are looking for comedy directors for commercials. But the two kind of types of comedy they were seeing a lot of is just super dry, mm -hmm. super kind of like underplayed or like really cinematic, you know, kind of like almost mm -hmm. like lifestyle stuff with like almost like cute, like heartwarming comedy, you know? Mm -hmm. And they're like, and your stuff is a little, it's kind of broad and it's kind of like poppy and colorful. So it doesn't feel necessarily super cinematic and it's not subtle. You know, obviously the irony is that like, I wish my stuff was cinematic and sure. subtle, but yeah. I'm always on these jobs where it's like, you know, where we're just pushing things. They don't want it cinematic. We just talked about this the other day. They want everything fill light on full blast. They want everything super bright. They want everything super colorful. They want all that stuff. And those are a lot of the jobs that I get because I have colorful stuff on my reel. I, I think to that point, though, or to that end, chasing trends. Look, we've all done it. We've all been like, ooh, I, I'm like, oh, man, it's so nice to have like a new, fresh influencer, like TikTok-y style comedy piece on my reel now. That's That'll be really helpful. They'll be able to sell me on that. But, you know, to a certain extent, you can't really chase those trends and you just have to hope that. Right. But I'm not saying chase trends. I'm I'm saying I, I would like to be known as a person that can do subtle comedy really well mm -hmm, or that can do mm -hmm. cinematic comedy well. And so for me, one of my job, like I remember a couple of years ago, I, I would see all these comedy spots that just had a lot of locations, like kind of montage, like one character saying funny things in like seven different places. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't have that. I had one character saying something funny in one place. Or I had like mm -hmm. three and then different they places. to another angle. And they, yeah. yeah. But yeah. it wasn't comedic. And so I really want it. And now I have, you know, probably like four or five spots like that where it's like, we start in this room. Now we're in this room. We're like, you know, we're in this part of the city. That was like a goal of mine, I guess, to like what you're saying is, I mean, I guess I feel like you're kind of talking about compromising. Like, okay, I want this to be really funny. They want this to be about like being super clear and like a call to action. And like, how can we find the middle ground? And I guess I'm wondering, because when you kind of brought this prompt up, I was like, oh, maybe there is a way. Sorry for referencing Jordan Brady a lot, but, you know, he has a podcast, Respect the Process. He talks almost exclusively about commercial filmmaking. But he says, you know, you kind of shoot your dialogue and shoot their dialogue. Mm -hmm, you're, like you're mm -hmm. basically trying to shoot the commercial that you want at the same time you're shooting the commercial that they want. And they are not the same commercial. You know, mm -hmm. one is like subtle humor. One is like on the nose. One is a little cinematic with a camera move or something. One is just really presentational. Those were kind of some of the strategies I was going to talk about is like how you can get both the commercial or not necessarily the commercial, the project. Let's say you're hired to do a short film for someone or a music video and the band just like really wants this performance thing mm -hmm. and you want to do the story piece and they don't give a shit about it. How do you get both of them? Sorry, I, as usual, send us on a wild tangent. I'll let you finish your thought. Well, I, I think, no, it's all it's all pretty pertinent though because... As we were saying before, filmmaking is collaborative, right? And so once upon a time, we all thought like the director is the person who 
gets to is the final word on everything. They're right. the auteur. Makes all and the calls. Makes all the calls. And like whether it's a band or a studio or a, a lead actor with a lot of clout or a brand or even your cinematographer, like there's always going to be compromises that have to be made. Right. Yeah. But, the craziest is rap, rap musicians. They like literally will just not show up to set. And you're like, sure. Yeah, I'm yeah. making this for you. <laughs> yeah. And also it's half your money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but those are the people that you're trying to please sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But so your goals and their goals aren't necessarily always going to overlap. Right. And so I guess what I'm saying is, is that if you can hold on to one aspect and maybe it is a big one, maybe it is something where it's like, I really, really need this to be dry and they keep pushing the, the really broad angle because they think that's funnier. But I really, I believe that this is the tone is the thing that's most important in this. If you are clear with yourself up top about what makes this good in your mind and in your heart, even if you have to compromise, you know which, where to fight for things and where not to. And I want to be clear that I think if you are trying to get both versions, it takes a lot of work on your part. Hopefully you can get your producer on board or a couple other things, your DP, but you're going to have to be so well prepared before the shoot to be able to get the two versions you know like their version of funny and your version of funny and my advice is try to get your version first you know if you have a way you like the dialogue or whatever so let's talk about that a little bit this one i think again kind of plays a little bit more towards situations where you've got either a studio or an agency or brand kind of looking over your shoulder but it ties in with some advice that payment benz once gave me and he was like show them the funniest cut first and let them shave it down from there but like lead with the best thing you can. But in order to get that footage, you have to fight shoot for it. it on. <laughs> you have to shoot it. Yeah. The easiest thing you can do is tweak performance, right? So like mm-hmm. you're in the same setup. It's just an additional take. You're going to try something totally different. I think you can even like go to the actor and be like, hey, let's do this really dry. Like you don't care. You're saying go get a Swiffer mm-hmm. you know, in the way that you like don't even know what a Swiffer is. Like you don't care. Because you think that's funny. You don't want this character to be aloof. And you think that marketing, like kind of going the opposite in marketing can be funny. You do that. And then you walk into the client room and you say, hey, I think that performance is totally wrong. Like she needs to like really be into Swiffer. But like you guys like the lighting and all that. Like if you want to keep doing it over and over, I think you need to make sure the client thinks you're prioritizing them. Mm -hmm. While at the same time, you're kind of burning some takes with your version. The way that I would do it oftentimes is I would... Do a take or two. Maybe those are the safer takes. I wouldn't call cut, basically. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, okay, we're going to change it up a little bit. We've got that one in the bag. Try it this way. Try it that way. And I would show them that I'm like searching for a performance or getting different sizes and ranges. In the pre-production meeting, I would be like, look, I'm going to get it the way that uh, I think is best. And then I'm going to come back and talk with you and make sure that we get the way that you like as well, that you're happy. But I'd like to warm the actors up a little bit and make them feel safe, try out a few things that they've prepared, do it my way. And then we, I promise we will get to yours. But just in terms of process, it's really helpful to kind of keep things open and loose early on. Then I'm not lying to anyone either. Then I'm literally getting it the way I want it. Maybe they don't use it, but hopefully I can get it implemented in that cut, show them the funniest cut. And then maybe they get it. Maybe people start to laugh and you just have to show them what you were aiming for. And then, then then they sometimes do get it and maybe even can take credit for it. I do think this kind of brings me to the next point, which is the most important thing of trying to shoot 
your version, the, you know, if you think it's the funnier version or the more elegant version or the less sophomoric version, like the version that is the one that you'd be proud of. This I actually don't always do a great job of, but I think it's super important is you must talk to the editor <laughs> of the yeah. project. You must try to get the footage. You must be nice to them and complimentary and help them out because you really need them to like give you your edit, you know, your director's cut. And if they can't do that, at least give you the footage and give you like the audio separated out. So like I've kind of half done this so many times. I'm like, oh, I know a way better version, you know, Mm -hmm. let's try mine. We'll we'll try it on set. And it's like it's kind of it's working, you know, Mm -hmm. and like the clients are kind of getting it, but not like 100 percent on board. And then the editor gets the footage and they look at the script and the post supervisor just says just wants to get the job done with because this thing needs to air next week. And they're like, just cut the script, you know, and then they show it to the sure. client and the client's like, this is great. And then you're like, wait, but what about this taking this taking this take? And they're like, we don't have time to try that. So, but if you get ahead of that, if you get the takes and then also are just in the editor's ear very early on and you're like, Hey, can you try out this take? Can you try this line? I know it's not in the script, but so to me, like you need to be as involved in post as you are in production. If you want your vision to kind of come through especially when it's at odds with like whoever hired you to do the job. That's my other big tip is like talk to the editors because, you know, in America, at least on commercials and even, even other projects, like I'm sure TV, music videos, industrials, like once you shoot, a lot of times the director, they don't care what you think anymore. <laughs> they'll listen to you. They'll or, be, or they'll take the your courtesy. director's cut and then, yeah. and then they'll take it home from there. I guess what I'm hoping is kind of like, as I, me personally, as I grow with the kind of bigger jobs, bigger agencies, bigger companies, like a lot of that work of getting them on board can happen in pre-production. And then that's when you're at your best, when you're on mm-hmm. on set and everyone is like trying to get the same exact thing. Yeah. And that's when you get to do multiple takes and find better versions. And you know that the edit is going to be good because everyone's on board. So That brings me to my penultimate, my second to last piece of advice, not just to prep your hardest, but to to get everyone on the same page as, as effectively as possible. And I used to think that that was as simple as like phone calls, you know, you call your department heads, like maybe some meetings and this and that, and you think you're all you're all good to go. But it's funny, I had a an epiphany not that long ago where, and we talked about this on the show, I worked really, really hard on some animatics of a job that's just now finishing up. Worked super hard on them, got them into After Effects, animated them all, this and that, and got a lot of really positive feedback from people who were like, oh, now I understand what the spot is. Thank you so much. And I looked at another director's animatic of a script that I was really familiar with just the other day and was like, oh, I don't know what I'm looking at. And had the realization that was likely what people were feeling when they were looking at my boards as well. And there's that thing of like, well, I made it move and I added music and and uh, voiceover and and acted out of the parts it should be crystal clear and even still getting people on the same page is the whole job and is super 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 hard and so you have to use every single tool that you have in the toolbox that's phone calls that's an animatic that's multiple meetings that's lookbooks that's collaborations on pinterest it's all of that stuff and then maybe 40% of what you're hoping that people understand they do. Right. And it's important to share those things like 
early. Like you can't be on set and be like, this was my vision for the wardrobe. And the client or the rock band or whoever you're with is like, nah, we don't like that. Let's just go with like the thing we had in our deck, you know, the best preppers prep early, you know, mm-hmm. so they leave time to, to change things. And I, I personally love animatics. I do feel like you're totally right though. Like I've made these animatics that I'm like, this is the commercial. You approve this. This is great. That's why we're shooting this on set. Why are you not understanding what I'm doing here? Mm-hmm. And it's probably because they just didn't quite understand the animatic. And, and to be fair, I know for sure there have been instances where someone will be like, well, is it going to be that color? And you'll be like, no, this is temp. Obviously it's an animatic. We're not on set. And then they'll also be like, "Um, I don't really like the music. And you'll be like, well, I picked the music in the animatic. We've been listening to this music the whole time. It's not totally fair. (laughs) It's It's impossible to really delineate what is final versus what's for placement only. And, and so I think, you know, you have, there's no dumb questions when it comes to that stuff. I think people tend to be like, oh boy, this person is really daft when it comes to looking at these things. And it's like, no, asking questions is good. And then also, you know, like we've talked about before, previs and all that prep helps you make those mistakes in advance of actually being on set. Just gets you further down the line. Yeah. I also might give you ideas or Mm -hmm. make you realize that things you thought would work, don't work and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. My final piece of advice for how to make something actually good. Embrace your limitations. I know that's a cliche, but I feel like the more I work, the more I just lean into any shortcoming or logistical challenge or whatever, making that part of the thing, making that the superpower, making that an aspect of what makes the thing good is the key to for everything going well, basically. Like if you don't have enough people, you don't have enough lights or whatever, lean into that, embrace that, acknowledge that, don't fight against it, and then you'll be better off for it. You know, how many times have we shot party scenes with four people and you're like, oh boy, this is supposed to be 60. Just make it a party with four people instead. <laughs> I'm on board with embrace your limitations, but yeah, yeah. the 60 person party that now is a four person party. Well, uh, look, it's an interesting. If, if you're, if you've been prepping, there's a difference between the, a catastrophe where you paid for 60 extras and 56 of them didn't show up. That's a catastrophe. That's a different problem. But like if you're in your previs and you realize or in prep that you don't have the money to do the thing you're trying to pull off, don't try to force it. A good party trick, actually, now that you brought this up that I have seen work pretty well is like a stock footage shot of like a party. And then like you set your scene in the bathroom and you just hear the party outside or in the hallway or whatever. You know, have four extras crossing or passed out or drinking or whatever. And then you can really sell a party with like 95% audio if you just have like one or two establishing shots. Not to go on a party tangent, but the thing that I think sells crowds in general is not the number of bodies because you can shoot a close up and it can feel really, really crowded or it can feel really sparse. It's Mm -hmm. the proximity where the camera is. It's personal space. So if you've got say 10 people in a room, you can make one shot or, or a scene feel really, really, really crowded. If it's two people talking and you've got 10 people total, you can definitely make that if they're all pushed up against each other. 
but yeah, I, I know embrace your limitations. Like I said, it's a cliche, but I think like writing around things or leaning into what could be an opportunity. I was going to mm-hmm. say I'm on a job now where the budgets are smaller than I'd like, but also that means I'm going to have a really lean crew and we're going to run around and get tons of setups, tons of freedom and have a great time. Whereas like, I think a more immature version of myself would be like, Oh God, I can't, they don't want we can't do this. This is so dumb. Oh, why am I even wasting my time on this? It'll probably be one of my favorite things I shoot this year. I actually had a conversation today about this project where we made an animatic and the camera was moving a lot in it. And the client's like, let's just make the camera not move as much. It's moving. It's moving too much. And I was thinking about like, well, how can you still make something stylized if you're not Mm -hmm. allowed to move the camera? And it's like, well, I mean, obviously there's a lot of answers, but it's like, what if we just like edit it in a really cool way, you know, just add cuts in cool places and make Mm -hmm kind of dramatic cuts and go from a super wide to a super close and just cut from an angle straight on to an angle that's two degrees off. Like there's so many ways you can be creative, especially when someone is taking away something you can do. Like, hey, we can't afford the dolly. We have to shoot on sticks. Like, ooh, now now how can we make this interesting? It's a really fun thing. Actually, a lot of stuff that happened in like the beginning of COVID, especially with like Tim Wilkheim and stuff, some you know previous guests, People were making like short films at home and the whole premise of them or that they were making them. Yeah. Themselves. Yeah. And some of them are so good. So yeah. Limitations. Embrace them. Well, Matt, do you have a minute to endorse something for totally free? I do indeed. I'm going to do, I think, a just shoot it first. You tell me if you've done this before. It's a Madden low first for sure. I'm going to double down on two previous endorsements. It might be a first that it's a two, a double, double down. A double, double. My first, Purple Carrot, which is one of those food delivery services. I really, truly love it. So Purple Carrot is a vegan like recipe delivery service. So you say, okay, I want to make the tamarind doll and the blood orange poke bowls. And then they send you all the ingredients and it's all kind of pre-measured and stuff. And you do a little bit of prep work and then you cook it. But it's been really awesome. And the reason why... I'm doubling down on it is because it has just really opened my eyes up to the sorts of things that I can cook at home. I grew up cooking a lot of different stuff that we cook and I feel pretty solid on that stuff, but there were just cuisines that I'd never tried cooking at home. You know, so stuff that you just kind of mentally had decided, well, that's just a food that you get when you're out to eat or whatever. And I made some basically Kogi style Korean tacos at home the other night that were just friggin great and i never in a million years thought i would be able to make them not that it was hard but it was just like there's a mental barrier about it so it was really nice to just you know spread my my culinary wings it was super fun so purple carrot that's the first one. Second one podcast called dead eyes lauren do you remember what dead eyes is yeah this guy that auditioned for some tom hanks project no, he and bu- he- no 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 he booked he booked the role he booked the role got to say tom Band hanks of brothers eyes look like they're tom hanks fired him he said that we can't cast this guy he has dead eyes so for years now he's been making a podcast that's evolved into something about disappointment and despair it's truly funny and really great why are you familiar with it Oren? what what's the news what have you heard about dead eyes did the guy die no way better his eyes died no Oren. on march 10th 
Tom Hanks was a guest on the podcast. Tom Hanks is going to be a guest on the podcast. Okay. It's monumentous. Oren, what you got? Good Rex. Good Rex. That's a, the perfect Rex for someone who has no new Rex. Mm-hmm. I have hey. two. <laughs> yes. Those, no. those tacos were... I couldn't stop talking about them. You did expand. I mean, Purple Carrot, I think, is a stretch, but Dead Eyes, Dead I think Eyes that was worthy. Yeah. yeah. So I found this new After Effects trick. If you ever use After Effects, which I know, Matt, you do, something very common is that you have a frame. You want to export an image of what you're working on to Photoshop mm-hmm. so you can edit it and bring it back into After Effects because in Photoshop, you have different tools than in After Effects. And so what most people do, I think, you can either try to like use some plugin that lets you copy your screen and then paste it into Photoshop and bring it back, which is not recommended because of color space issues. So the better way to do it is you can render the frame as a Photoshop file, find it in, you know, your on your hard drive, double click it, whatever, open it in Photoshop, edit it, save it, bring the saved file into After Effects, bring it back into your project. Yeah, that does sound terrible. There is a built-in way to do this in After Effects now that just takes a single click um, and it's uh, part of the content aware fill tools that come standard with After Effects. So don't even worry about content aware fill because I, for the life of me, can I get it to work in After Effects? But if you open up the content aware fill panel in After Effects, there's a button that says create reference frame and you just click on it and whatever frame you're on in your composition, your sequence, it will open that frame in Photoshop. Then you can edit it, hit save, and then it's already there in your the Photoshop files oh, already in your After Effects project. So that's pretty nice. It's an awesome trick. Create reference in the content aware fill panel. If literally you are the one person that this tip is helpful for, please email us just shoot a pot at gmail.com. Anyway, my other endorsement is a very much a self endorsement, but Ryan Godoy, did I talk about this already? Oh, not, not on the show. No. So Ryan Godoy, he's one of our listeners. He has a YouTube channel. You can just look up Ryan Godoy, G-O-D-O-Y on YouTube, but he made a video called The Art of Making a Successful Film Pitch Deck with Oren Kaplan. Mm. And he basically interviewed me about how I find images to make a deck, what I think makes a good deck or treatment or lookbook. And he makes a lot of other cool videos reviewing cameras and talking about directing and strategies for pitching and whatnot. So check it out. The Art of Making a Successful Film Pitch Deck with Oren Kaplan on YouTube. Ryan Godoy, thanks for having me on your show. And you should check it out. That's all I got. If you want to know what Oren looks like when he's recording the show. Oh, man. Don't judge me. This is exactly what it looks like. Anyhow, if you are interested in anything, if you have your own strategies for how to fix shoots that are problematic in various ways, you know, tell us about how you've embraced limitations, anything. Email us, justunitpod at gmail.com. We'll answer you. Maybe we'll even talk about whatever you say on the show. You can also follow us across all social media at Just Shoot It Pod. You can follow me. I'm on Twitter at Smitey Pileg. I'm on all everything else, Instagram at O'Kaplan. And you can follow me at Mr. Matt Enlow. This episode was edited by Noah Bayshore. Thanks, Noah. And you're listening to music provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.